Pastor Marvin. Thank you, young ones. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see each and every one of you guys here, see some smiling faces. Those of you who aren't here and online, good morning. So before we get started, you know that I got to poke and prod a little bit. It's going to be 90 degrees this week again, and winter is closer than the last time I prayed, just to let you guys know that, and I'm anxiously waiting winter. Um, just to let you know that I, we were out yard selling yesterday, and we actually talked to a lady from Iran who said that she was desperately waiting winter as well. So I'm not the only one that's odd here. I'm not the only one that's odd here. But it's good to see each and every one of you here. And like Marvin said, today I want to talk to you about um, how we can live God's call. But I first want to start off with a question. Have you ever seen or heard of something that can be used in any type of scenario or any type of situation? I'm going to move this because I could see me tripping over that. I'm going to move that down there real quick. Have you ever seen or heard of something that can be used in any type of scenario or any type of situation? Now, when I had this question pop into my mind, the first thing I thought of was the Swiss Army knife. So a quick show of hands, how many people have actually ever seen or know what a Swiss Army knife is? Okay, good, excellent. So the Swiss Army knife is basically, it's a knife, so it has a main blade that's your, your basic spear point blade. But a Swiss Army knife is packed, and I mean packed with tools, and you can get different options. So you can have a file, you can have a saw, you can have a sharpener of some sort, you can have tweezers, you can have spoons, you can have knives or spoons, you can have smaller knives, you can have hook blades, you can have can openers, you can have so much different things on this. And all these attachments are, are held within the handle, so you can pop them open and you can use it. It's there, be able to use with ease for any situation. So a little history, the Swiss Army knife was actually developed in the late 1800s. I didn't realize it was that old of a knife. It was developed in the late 1800s for military purposes, hence the Swiss Army knife, you know. But Quickly, when the people coming home from battle, and they had this knife that they were issued, and the civilians saw this, they're like, this is a pretty cool tool. I want one. Well, it caught on. So Swiss Army knives were then manufactured for the regular non-military citizen. See, when I was a kid, if you owned a Swiss Army knife, you could do anything. You had the power in your hand. You could do anything. You know, whether it was you were trying to survive in the vast wilderness of your backyard and you were going to use a screwdriver adjustment or a screwdriver uh, tool to try to build yourself a treehouse, or you wanted to take and escape some wild animals that were hanging around your playground and you were going to use that spoon to dig yourself a pit to trap an animal. I'm not saying I'd done it. Maybe I tried it, but it never was really successful. But you could use a Swiss Army knife for anything. You could use it for anything. You know, whether you just wanted to cut a rope with it or you wanted to fashion a spear out of a stick that you found lying around, a Swiss Army knife could be used for anything. In fact, you could be considered the equivalent of MacGyver. So you young guys and young girls who have no idea who MacGyver is, go home after the service today, look up MacGyver, watch one of, ep one of his episodes. You could be the equivalent of a MacGyver if you held one of these things. You had this knife that could do it all if you were fortunate enough. You see, this one item could be used very effectively in any situation. And it was the most desired tool for military during its time and young adventurers everywhere. See, as a Christian, we can be compared to the Swiss Army knife. I'm not saying that we're going to use a Swiss Army knife. We're not, we're, not going to, we're not to dig pits, kids, and trap animals. I'm just saying. But anyway, we can be used 
we could be equivalent to a Swiss Army knife. You see, when we're called by God and we accept that calling becoming Christians, we become a tool that he could use for the furtherance of his kingdom. And when we place ourselves in the hands of God and we're guided by the Holy Spirit, we can be used effectively in any situation, living the call of God. You see, as Christians, we should be able to live God's call anywhere. As a Christian, we should be able to live God's call anywhere. When God calls you to become a Christian, he may not always call you out of your current situation. He may not call you away from the job or away from the place that you're staying. Or perhaps he could throw a tornado in your life and he could call you from the furthest thing that you ever thought that you would be. But God will call you. He may not, or when we become Christians, we make the promise to God that we will live for him. And that includes living his calling anywhere. So today we're going to read through 1 Corinthians 7, 17 through 24. And I'll give you guys a moment to turn there in your Bibles. It, it should be up on the screen as well. But as we go through this passage, we're going to want to answer, and we're looking to answer the question, how can we live God's call demonstrating our faith in any situation? So 1 Corinthians 7, 17 through 24. Verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you gain, you can gain your freedom. Avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. See, when Paul was writing this letter to the church of Corinth, he was doing so in response to some questions that, that needed answered. There were some questions, there were some concerns that were arising within the church of Corinth. So, so Paul needed to, to answer these questions. And the biggest question in this passage, as I stated, was, what are we supposed to do once we're a Christian? What are we supposed to do? Were they supposed to change where they worked? Were they supposed to change where they lived? Were they supposed to change how they lived, their physical appearance, or anything like that? See, most of us have had questions of the same type when we became Christians. How do we live God's call? What are we supposed to do now? And we were supposed to live God's call regardless of our current situation. And we can see the first answer to this question within the very first verse of this passage. We can see that we need to trust God has placed you exactly where he wants you. Trust God has placed you. Trust that God has placed you exactly where he wants you. Verse 17 states, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. See, the Corinthians, they, they were ready to make some pretty extensive changes in their lives. And they were going to try to make some changes in their situations when they became Christians. They were going to do so without thinking through the consequences of what these changes were. 
Paul was writing the church to say that they should be Christians exactly where they are, exactly has, uh, where God had called them. God will call people to himself who are in various situations. No one of us has the exact same situation, the exact same life as the other person. Most times when he calls us, he has a specific role for us in the place that we are. When you were called to, called to be a Christian, I'm so sure that if you were working in a non-Christian atmosphere, you didn't automatically say, I need to quit my job because I'm working in a non-Christian atmosphere and it doesn't work well for me. You didn't quit your job. Or if you were a Christian and then you were saved and you were married to still to a non-believer, you didn't automatically say, I need to go get a lawyer and file for a divorce. No. You were right where God had placed you. See, doing something haphazardly can have detrimental consequences for both your life physically and eternally. The latter has a lot more importance than the former. Your internal life has a lot more importance. Paul was telling the Corinthians that they needed to stay right where they are. Stay right where God has placed them and not assume that they were in the wrong place or perhaps there was a different situation that they should be in or a more perfect situation for them, that God had placed them exactly where they were. See, God can and will use you in your current situation. God can and God will use you exactly where you are. We simply need to trust that God knows what he's doing. And we need to be able to submit to his higher power and his perfect will. But that seems to be our problem though, right? Trust. I don't know about you guys, but I have a very hard time trusting sometimes. If I don't have control, I, can't, I need to do what I want to do. I have to have that trust. I, I have a hard time trusting that somebody's going to have a better control of my life. And throughout biblical history, we can see how the lack of trust has been the downfall of man. Take Eve, for example. I know she's not man like a male, but she is man. She is of the, man, the, 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 the human nature. Take Eve, for example. Even though she was convicted and told not to, she did not place her trust in God and took of the forbidden fruit. And we can see where we ended up with that, right? How about Moses and Aaron? They did not trust that God's plan was perfect enough for them. And what happened? They lost their entrance into the promised land. They lost their entrance into that promised land that they were trying so hard to get into. See, we have the same problems. We fail to trust God. You see, we want to be in control. We want to make the decisions. I know I, know I have a very hard time being a passenger in a vehicle. I want to have control of that wheel. I want to be able to push the brakes when I want to push the brakes, and I want to hit the gas when I want to hit the gas. I, don't, I have a hard time. I want to be in control. And it's the same way with our spiritual lives. We have a hard time relinquishing control and just being done with it and letting things go to God. We want to be in control, and we lack the trust that our Creator may know a little more than what we give Him credit for. How funny of a phrase is that, that we lack trust in our Creator. We lack trust in the Creator, the one who created us and who, who created the universe. Who else is more trustworthy than the living God? Who else is more trustworthy than God? Read through the Bible. How many covenants, how many promises did God make? Has God ever broken a promise? Never. What is more trustworthy 
then who is more trustworthy than God who has never broken a promise? I know he's never broken a promise to me. He's never broken a promise that we can see historically. He has never broken a promise. See, trusting God completely means having faith that he knows what's best in your life. And that's difficult. It's difficult to give that trust completely to him. To say, God, you know what's best. You know what's best in my life. You have control. You know what's best in my life. It's simple. Just let go. Submit. Trust, right? I can do that. Yeah, sweet. It's a lot easier said than done. I'm sure we can all test that we've experienced that. But how can we assure that we are trusting God completely? This comes through prayer. This comes through submission to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. When we stress and we have to have control of every detail of our life, we are telling God, the God of the world, the God of this universe, the creator of everything, that we know better than him. When we say, God, I don't trust that you can control my life, that's like us saying to him, I know better than you. I know what's better for my life than you know what's better for me, God. When we take the time daily in prayer, we can break down those trust barriers that we have. And we can give our life fully to him. We can have a fuller life. When we trust God and we place our worry on him, it truly gives us a better life. I know it's given me a better life. When I took and I stressed over everything, and I had to have control over every aspect of my life, every nook and cranny I needed to be in control of, I was worried all the time. You could see the physical turmoil in my life. I could feel it in my body, the, the, the tiredness, the uneasiness all the time. But when you give that to God and you say, God, I trust you. Here, this is one thing I don't want to have to worry about. How great is it every day to make, not have to worry about making a decision? God, I'm not going to make this decision in my life. You're going to make it for me. And you're going to tell me what to do because you know better. We have a better life. We have a much fuller life. We have an easier life. When you have a job opportunity placed at your feet, or those college kids out there, or high school kids, or those who are making a life decision, do you take and you make that decision based on what's best for you right now and your family? Or do you take and put God in the back burner and say, I'm going to do what's best for me because I think this is what's best for me. And you fail to ask God. A lot of times that happens. I know I've done that. I know so often I try to just climb and tear my way up the ladder of success based on what was good for me and what was good for my family. But it didn't work. It didn't work at all. It just leaves you just hurt and pained and tired and weary all the time. When you need to make a major life decision or you're toying with the thought of making a career change, do me a favor. Take time with God. And I mean really take time with God. It's not just, God, I need you to tell me what I'm doing wrong. Well, how can you help me? Take that time with God. Get down on your knees and pray. Or perhaps take time fasting. And it doesn't have to be simply fasting away from food. Because I know some people, you can't, because of medical reasons, you can't give up food, which is fine. I can't give up food because I just like to eat, right? So get rid of your phone for a week, a day. Try hours. And every time that you feel that urge to pick up your phone, click on Facebook, click on Instagram. I don't know what the heck is going on with all these little apps that are going on. Every time you feel that urge, you want to pick it up, pick up the phone and call God. Like Marvin said, talk to him. Ask him what he wants you to do. 
Ask him how he can work, how, how you can work in his kingdom. Ask him what you can do. Ask God to do, ask God to help you. Take that time and pray. Take that time and fast. See, the answer may be that he wants you to stay exactly where you're at. He made you say, hey, this is where I want you to be. I don't want you to go where, where you're thinking and praying and asking me to go to. This is where I want you. Don't take this as a punishment. Don't take this as God saying that you're a bad individual and I need, you know, this is where you're at. Take this as God saying to you that I have placed you exactly where I want you and exactly where I need you. And he's going to place you there for your good and for his glory. He knows what's best. We need to just trust him. But we can see that trusting is only part of the equation. The second thing we need to learn about serving God is that we need to look for opportunities to serve God where we are. We need to look for opportunities to serve God where we are. Verses 20 through 22 read this. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. So when I read through that passage, there was a, there was a word that popped out. The word bondservant popped out multiple times. So this word is translated from the Greek word doulos. And it can have many different meanings. It can have the, word, the meaning of, or it can have many different translations. The word bondservant, sometimes it's translated as the word slave. But in this passage, in this context, it's translated as a word bondservant. See, Paul knew that there were those whose situation would not be changing. Not that God couldn't change their situation, because we know God is capable of anything. But that God had put them in the situation where he would give them the opportunities for them to serve him there. See, a bondservant is much different than the term that it can also be translated into as the word slave. It's not a slave. When we think of the word slave, we think of the 17th and 19th century in the United States where we had a mass trade of people who were ridiculed, who were dehumanized, who were tortured. That's not this word. See, when you were a bondservant, you entered into this as a contract. Now, this contract could be for many different reasons. It could be for that of you needed to pay somebody a debt. Or if you were captured in war, you weren't treated as a slave, you were treated as a bondservant. You entered into a contract to gain your freedom. And in this time, you were paid. And as a bondservant, you may not have had the lowest and horrible jobs. Oftentimes, they were given pretty prestigious jobs. They were given jobs that they, that they had and they could work their way up. Just look at Daniel. Am I right? Daniel was captured. He was basically a bondservant. He had a pretty good job. He was the third highest ranking individual in Babylon. He was a bondservant. Okay, so a bondservant could go from 7 to 14 years. 7 years could, was the least amount, but 14 years you had to serve if you directly were a bondservant for the house of Caesar. And then after that time was up, after your contract had expired, you were given your wages. So you weren't paid weekly or bi-weekly or monthly as time went on, they saved it. So it was kind of like if you have kids and you give your kids $5 every week, they don't just get that $5, you put it aside. And after 18 years of being your bondservant, you just boot them out the door and say, here's your money, you're free now, right? Okay, not really, but 
That's kind of how it was. They were given their money. Your time is up. Here's all of the money that you worked and you earned for. You are now a freed individual. You can go. You are free. See, throughout this, Paul was telling the church that they should not be concerned so much as where they are or their current situation or trying to change that situation because some of the individuals could not get out of their bond servanthood. That was understandable. He reminds them that they are Christians and as such they are bond servants to Christ. They have promised to give their life to Christ, living for him and receiving their payment, which is an eternal life in the glory of God, which is far greater than any money we could ever gain. They should be living their life as Christians, regardless of where they were or where they currently found themselves, and they should look for opportunities to serve him and spread his gospel wherever they were at. See, just like those who were bond servants and could not change their current situation, we may not all be in the situation that we currently like. We may not be in the job that we think is perfect for us. We may not be living in a house that we think is perfect. We may not be going to the school that we like because mom or dad are living in a school district that we can't move out of because that's where mom and dad's job's at. We could have a home life that we don't like that we can't get out of right now. Or how we attend school. And as we were talking this morning, a group of us, we can see how that is changing drastically and dramatically over this upcoming year. How we attend school. We think this is a horrible opportunity, a horrible situation in my life that I have to stay at home or I can only go to school a couple times and I can't see my friends. I can't be here. I can't go there as freely as I would like to. But God will give you the opportunities to serve him where you are at, regardless of your situation. Make no mistake about that. Make no mistake that God will give you those opportunities. I know it's something that's easier said than done. You're probably thinking, Doug, you're up there, and it's easy to say that. It's just easy to blab out some words, Doug, but it's very hard to live that. Trust me, I've known, I've been there, I've lived that. I've seen in my life and other people's lives how God has taken, utilized people in situations that you would not even have thought that he could utilize them. Where Jesus Christ wasn't even the forefront of any thought in any job and God was used, or they were used, and Jesus Christ was glorified in that situation. It can happen. It will happen. God will give you those opportunities. Ask God to show you where you are to be used. Trust me, he'll give you the opportunities. He'll give you the opportunities to serve. However, we need to take those opportunities when they come at us. I know this is something that most people find difficult, myself included. Grabbing a hold of opportunities to serve him when they come at us. Oftentimes what we're afraid of failure. We're afraid of ridicule. What are other people going to think of me? Or we feel inadequate in a position. That seems to be my biggest thing is I just feel inadequate. You know, God, how are you going to use me in, in this certain situation? I, I don't know if I have the knowledge. But remember, God chose you. He called you. He has given you this opportunity to serve. God has your back. Who else do you want having your back than God, the creator of the universe? Who else do you want to have your back? If, you have, if God has your back, you can do anything. He has your back. He chose you. He called you. He has given you this opportunity. Put your trust in him. See, God will enable you to do what he calls you to do. He will enable you. He will give you that opportunity. God will give you the knowledge. 
He'll give you the skills. He'll give you the endurance to serve him. Regardless of where you're at, what stage of life you're in. Like Pastor Marvin said, whether you're four years old or whether you're 95, 100, anything in between, God will give you those opportunities. He will enable you. There's another saying that a lot of people hear that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. God doesn't call you when you're equipped. He calls you and says, you've put your trust in me this far. Now trust that I'm going to take and do for you what I know that you can, I can do for you. Put your trust in me. I will equip you. God will enable you to do what he calls you to do. God will build you up. God will give you the abilities to serve him to the best of his ability. And I say his ability because, remember, our abilities are not ours. They are a direct gift from our creator. Our abilities do not belong to us. Our abilities belong to God, and they are a direct gift from our Father. Look for opportunities to serve God. Pray for opportunities to serve God. It's one thing just to look, but pray. Be that moving piece for God. God, I want to serve you. How can I serve you? Give me that opportunity. Give me the chance to serve you. Give me the chance to live your call. Take those opportunities when they come at us. God will enable you. God has your back. Another way we can live God's call regardless of where we are comes from our focus and who we are focused on. So we need to focus more on pleasing God than man. We need to focus more on pleasing God than man. Verse 18 and 19 read this. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. You see, Paul was bringing up a very good point to the church of Corinth. And you know that it was something that was being done or else Paul wouldn't have addressed this. Because Paul didn't mince words. He threw the letter out there and he wrote exactly what they needed to hear. So this was something that was actually being done. See, those who were of the Jewish faith prior to Christianity and the Old Covenant, they had to live by the law. And the law stated that as a Jewish person, you had to become circumcised. That was the law. If you didn't become circumcised, you were considered a Gentile. You were considered a Gentile. However, when Christ was sacrificed and rose from the dead, the old covenant became obsolete. We know that the old covenant was washed away and it was done. And those who became Christians no longer needed to practice the act of circumcision. But this was still happening. There were those who were circumcised and they thought, well, I'm circumcised under the old covenant and I need to take and show my faith to people that I'm no longer of the old covenant, of a Jewish covenant. I am of the Christian covenant. I'm a Christian now, so I need to change that. And yes, there's actually a surgery that can reverse that circumcision. I can't imagine the complexity of that surgery now, in 2020, with all the medical advancements we have, let alone thousands of years ago. And every time I read this and I think of this, I'm like, ow, pain, uncomfort. But they were willing to do this to please man, to show man what they were about. 
Or there were those of, of the, the old covenant who were Gentiles, who now became Christians in the new covenant. And they're like, well, i, I got to show that I'm of a Christian. So therefore, I have to do this to show my faith. I have to become circumcised. I have to do this. I have to change because I'm focused more on pleasing man than I am of pleasing God. See, Paul was intensely urging those of the church to remain as they are and not change themselves trying to please those of the world as a sign of their faith. See, they were so intent on trying to prove their faith by pleasing others, they were forgetting that they only need to please God. How often do we do that? How often do we focus more on pleasing the man of this world than we do on pleasing God? Is that the right thing to do? Are we living God's call by worrying more about pleasing people rather than pleasing God? If our faith is demonstrated by pleasing God and doing what he wants, following his commands, not by pleasing man, Pastor S.J. Lawson is quoted saying this, If you please God, it does not matter whom you displease. And if you displease him, it does not matter whom you please. Let's unpack that phrase a little bit, or that, that quote. If I please God, does it really matter who I'm displeasing? Who am I standing in front of at the final judgment? Am I standing in front of man? Is man judging me for my faults at the final judgment? No, God is. So if I am pleasing God, what does it matter who I'm displeasing? As long as I'm pleasing God and doing his call. But if I displease God, if I'm displeasing God on this earth, does it really matter who I'm pleasing? Because if I'm not pleasing God, I'm not doing what God wants me to do, then what does it matter? Because I'm not pleasing the one person that we should be pleasing. See, when we try so hard to please the people of this world by how we act, how we dress, the things we eat, any number of ways, we are not acting in a manner that is pleasing to God. I'm not saying that how anybody acts, how anybody dresses, I don't care. But if we're doing those things to try to please man, then we're not doing them for the right reasons. We are not living our life according to his call. When we please God, that's all that matters. Because pleasing him we will please others and we'll bring pleasure to, pleasure to others. You see, we'll not be able to please each and every individual in this world. I'm sure you could probably all think and say, yeah, that's the truth. Amen there, Doug. We cannot please everybody. And there are going to be those individuals who are going to be extremely displeased with us simply because we're a Christian and we live the life according to what God wants us to do. We're never going to be able to please everyone. Just like Paul was telling the church of the Corinth to stop trying to live their lives pleasing others, we need to heed this advice. Look at today's world. Look at society. You pick up the newspaper. Turn on your news feed. It seems like people are just simply trying to please everybody else, and they've forgotten that they only need to be pleasing God. They've forgotten that God is the one who's important. I'm not saying it's everybody... I'm not saying it's anybody in this room, but you can see the vast majority of the world. That's what is happening. We need to live our life pleasing God and know that it's him and his commands that matter. And they matter the most. And when we do this, we can see that all other aspects of our calling are going to start falling into place pretty easily. 
And the last thing we can do to live God's call demonstrating our faith comes through the relinquishing, relinquishing this, the hold that sin has over us. We need to remember that sin holds no power over us. Sin holds no power over us. Verses 23 and 24 read this. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. See, each and every person has had their sins, past, present, and future, paid for with the blood of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Right? Absolutely. That has been paid for. Done. See, when we become Christians and we pledge our lives to God, we accept that we are no longer a slave to sin, and sin holds no power over us. But why do we continually forget this resounding fact? Why do we continually forget this? Why do we let Satan get inside our minds and allow us to think that our sins are what define us? The truth is we allow this because of the problems we have within our own hearts. See, we do not allow God to change us, which again comes down to control, right? We want to hold that wheel. We want to steer our ship. We want to go down the river. We want to go down. We do not allow God to completely change us. When we let the evil one creep into our minds, our hearts, and our souls through unresolved issues that we have not given over fully to God, we lose. We have not allowed the Holy Spirit to work within us the way we should. We have not become properly sanctified, separating us from sin and separating us to God. We have not become properly sanctified. We have not given everything that we should. We have not given everything to God. We have not given all to God. We are holding on to the things of our past that allow sin to control us and hold power over us. And it makes us ineffective at times in living our calling for God. So let's, let's look at this illustration. Imagine, if you will, that you're going to buy a home. Okay? And you're going to buy this home, and it's, it's being sold by the seller. So you see this ad, you go look at this home. This is a beautiful home. Like, oh my word, this is a beautiful home, gorgeous. So you go in and you look around. Whoever you're with, your husband, your wife, mom, dad, whoever you're looking at, you're like, this is one, i got to have this. So the seller is willing to give you the deal of the century. The seller says, oh, this house is absolutely free. You can have this house free of charge. Just one condition here. One condition. There's a nail. I have a 16-penny nail that's nailed above my door frame, the door frame in the living room. That's my nail. I do with it whatever I want. I retain control of that nail. You can have everything else in the house as you're free of charge. That nail is mine. So you think about it. Well, that's a nail. I could decorate around that nail. It's not going to mess with the feng shui of the house at all. It's going to flow perfectly in here. Yep. Take the house. You sign on the dotted line. The house is yours. You move in. Everything's going wonderful. You get the house decorated. It's becoming your home. It's becoming the place where you can see memories being made. And one day, you're, you're at home, you're power watching something on Netflix, you're playing a video game, you're playing a music instrument, reading a book, I don't know, whatever, and you hear, oh, somebody's at the door. Go open the door, and there's the seller. He's like, I'd like to use my nail today. And you're like, well, uh, yeah. well, remember, you signed the deal. It's a contract. It's his nail. 
You're like, okay. He's polite about it. He takes his shoes off. He doesn't want to get your house dirty, so he takes his shoes off, goes in. Out of a bag, he pulls a nice, plump, dead skunk, and he hangs it on his nail because that's his nail. Now, remember, you're arguing about this. You're like, whoa, 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 stop. You, got you can't do this. That, that, that's no, no, no. That's going to mess up the entire flow of my living room. It's not going to work. And the black and white does not go at all with my decor. Plus, it smells. I don't know if any of you, a live skunk has a funk about it, right? Take a dead skunk. Funkier times 10, right? And it gets funkier every day. But that's his nail. He puts that skunk on there. So what do you do? You're like, okay, I got to live with this nail. I got to live with this skunk on this nail. So you go get a bunch of those candles. Now, we're coming into the fall season. So what's in the fall season? Everything's spiced pumpkin, right? So you get about 100 of those spiced pumpkin candles. And your entire house smells like a spiced pumpkin latte. Skunk still smells. It reeks. So you go get a bunch of those Glade plug-ins. You go get the Island Tropical Breeze Glade plug-in. And you have every outlet in your house covered with those Glade plug-ins. You are popping breakers. That's how many Glade plug-ins you have. Still stinks. So you'll get some Febreze. Because Febreze just doesn't cover up the scent. It kills the scent, right? Because there's that binding thing with the molecules, and it takes it. It works in the commercial, so it has to work here. Take about 10 bottles of Febreze, and you just spray this skunk, and it's dripping wet. But all you can still smell is that rotting, putrid, stinking skunk, right? Soon what do you do? You say, I can't live here anymore. i got to pack up my bags and get out of here because this is just not where I want to be. You give the house back to the seller. You think that you're better off. You think you've made the right decision. But have you made the right decision? See, this house is your soul. And it's exactly what happens when we let Satan hold the slightest control over our lives. That little nail that we refuse to give to God because we wanted control. That little sin of the past that we wanted to hang on to because we didn't want to give it up. Satan took control of that nail. And what's he do? He spreads in our body. He spreads and eventually he moves back in and we have lost our ability to live God's call the way he intended. You see, when we allow sin to hold power over us, we deny God. When we allow sin to hold a power over us, we are denying God. Because remember, when we have Satan in our lives and we allow that control of Satan in our lives, we're saying, God, you don't belong here. Because God and Satan cannot intermix. Where there's light, there cannot be dark. Try that. Go home and black your house out. It's pitch black. You turn a flashlight on, there's light there. You can never have dark where that light's at. It's the same way. If God is light, he can never exist where there's darkness. So if you have that darkness and you have that sin that you have not let go in your life, God cannot be there. God cannot be in your life. When we choose to let go of all of our sin, we show Satan that he and sin will have no control over us anymore, that they don't have power in our life. That gives us the best opportunity to live our life according to the call that we feel from God. Give your sins to God. He already knows what your sins are. You're a fool. If you think that you're hiding a sin from God, this is God. 
He's all-knowing. He knows what you're going to do tomorrow. He knows what you're going to do next week. He knows what you're going to do. To say that you're hiding a sin from him is foolishness. He knows what those sins are that you're hiding from him that you haven't brought into light. He just wants you to say, this is what I've done wrong. This is what's bothering me. This is what I need to give to you because when you give it to him, you're letting go of the power. You're saying, take control of me. I don't want that control anymore, God. Take control. I trust you. I put my life in your hands. He knows what you've done. He knows the horrific things that you may have done. He knows the things that you may have thought. He knows the things that you're thinking of doing. And guess what? He still loves you. He absolutely still loves you. Nothing will change God's love for you. He will still love you regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you thought, regardless of what you may do in the future. God will still love you. Nothing will ever change of that. Change that. Let go of the power of sin in your life. Let go of it. Get rid of it. Give those little things, give those nails to God. God, this is what I have I want to give to you. This is something I'm holding on to. I want to get rid of it. I'm done with it. I give it to you. Live your life for God and for God alone. So how can we live God's call demonstrating our faith regardless of our situation? We know that as Christians we should be able to live God's call anywhere. Therefore living the life that God has called to live, serving him through anything. Look at where you're at in your life. Ask yourself, why has God put me here? Ask yourself that. Why has God put me right here, right now in this situation, in this job, in this current time of my life? Why has he put me here? He has placed you exactly where he wants you. Look for him and ask him to present you with opportunities to serve him. Trust him. Trust that he knows what's better. Trust that he can steer your ship better than you ever could. Focus more on pleasing him with your actions and your thoughts than pleasing the man of this world. And give over all of your sin to him because he can use you as a tool to develop his kingdom. Living God's call may be hard. And at times it's going to feel as it's very unrewarding. It's going to feel very unrewarding. However, remember that our reward does not come on this earth. It does not come in this lifetime. Our reward comes in eternity. And eternity is far greater reward than we could ever gain in the here and now. Pray with me. Dear gracious and heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we have you as a caring, as a loving Father. We are so thankful that we have you to guide us through each and every situation. God, we are thankful that we have you who loves us, who has chosen us, and who calls us. God, I ask that you speak to each and every one of our hearts today. And God, tell us where you want us. Tell us what you want us to do. God, tell us what we need to give over completely to you so that Satan does not move back into our lives. God, we love you and we praise you. And we pray all these things in the cleansing, complete whitening blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.